If you've got a Bible, we're in John 4 tonight. We're going to begin in verse number 27 in just a few minutes. Um, we are coming off of an incredible encounter. If you have been with us, uh, you know. If you have not been with us, I'm sure you still know the story of John 4, the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Um, emphasis on Samaritan and woman because it's very unique and very, uh, very important that Jesus found himself in Samaria talking to an unaccompanied woman. Um, and this was not accidental. This was not a coincidence. This was a very intentional, on-purpose appointment, divine appointment, uh, where Jesus went out of his way to show the way to a woman who longed desperately for more than the world had given her and that the world could give her. She had been going through, uh, going to the same well day after day, week after week, and she kept getting the same results. And of course, when you continue to go to the same place and uh, every single day, you continue to get the same results. That could be, be taken many different ways. But she went to this same well, um, metaphorically as well, in her life. She was doing the same things over and over again. She was continually empty. She was continually uh, uh, finding herself without and lacking and longing for more and more and better and better. And yet she continued to do the same things. Of course, she only did what she knew she could do. It's easy to be critical of someone like her. Um, and we often do criticize people who continue to do the same things. But she did not realize there was another option. She didn't realize that there was a better way. And it was more than just the well that she uh, went to in this literal sense. It was about what she was doing in her private life, in her personal life. The decisions she was making, the choices she was making, the things that she had accepted as her way of life. Uh, she continued to go through these same uh, emotions and go through these same cycles and down these same paths. But of course, she did not know that there was a better way possible for her. Now, she tried to make things better. She wanted things to be different. You see, sometimes she would come to the well with a brand new bucket, right? So you could, uh, the woman's testimony, her, her story uh, showed that she wanted better because sometimes she would come to the well with a different bucket. Now, we know this from her confession to Jesus that she had been in and out of a lot of relationships. Now, it's easy to pick on that sort of scenario, but this is not just about a woman who was going from man to man. This could be about a man going from woman to woman. This can be about someone going from job to job, searching for the right career, someone going from uh, hobby to hobby, someone going from addiction to addiction. This can be any of us, and it has been all of us, hasn't it? Right? We think, well, it's not the well's problem, it's the bucket problem, right? So I'm going to try a different approach. I'm going to go to the well with a different bucket today. I have accepted the world is all I have. This world, this life is all that I have. I've got to go to this same well every single day because this is the only option I have. It's the only path that I have. I've got to do what the American system allows me to do. I've got to do what my flesh kind of leads me or controls me to do. So I'll just pick up a different bucket today and hopefully I'll get different results. But over and over again, she went to this well with a brand new bucket she thought, like we think, if I just try a different approach, things will get better. But ultimately, if we're still drawing from the same source, a new bucket is not going to make a difference. It's still the same water. It's still the same solution that we're drinking from, that we're being either sustained or actually emptied by. And listen, we are being emptied as soon as we are being filled the well we draw from cannot satisfy or quench any of our deepest longings or needs. So we continue to go to that well with a different bucket maybe every day, with a different person, a different hobby, a different job, a different, different you know, outlet to try to find relief. And yet we continue to get the same, same uh, product. We are emptied. We are desperate. We are longing. We're in need. 
And while the bucket may be part of the problem, it's not just a bucket problem. It's a well problem. Because if we continue to go to that same well, if we continue to take every relationship we find ourselves into that same well, if we continue to take every job and hobby and, and, and passion to that same well, if we continue to live through that same lens, through that same approach, through that same source, through that same motive, we will continue to get unsatisfactory results. Now this woman had moved from relationship to relationship trying to find purpose, fulfillment, belonging, and meaning. And she even dabbed in a little religion because her country and culture said that was the thing to do. It was just part of the, 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 you know, the, uh, part of the you know, community. It was part of what was in the air. You went to church every once in a while. You went on certain holy days. You did the thing that everyone did. Even though you didn't have a lot of confidence in that religion changing your life, you had more confidence in what the world offered you and what the avenues that the world presented you. But just in case there ever was something that religion might give you that would benefit you, you dabbed in. You dabbled in a little religion just to be sure. See, that's most people, isn't it? That's been many of us, hasn't it? We're all in, in someone or something of this world, and we dabble in a little religion just for insurance purposes, right? We show up to Mass. We show up for communion. We show up for the Christmas service or the Easter service or the this service or that service. We go and we support our family or friend. We show up whenever we are able to or when time allows us. But our mo- main focus, our, our, our you know, complete dedication is to something in this world, someone in this world. Now Jesus tells this woman very plainly and clearly she's all in on the wrong thing. And when she says, oh, okay, I see that you're a prophet. You're trying to get me to be a little religious. And I can tell you, listen, I am religious. I go to the mountain uh, down, down, you know, over, down the valley up the hill. That's the mountain that my people worship at. I know y'all worship in a temple, but we worship on the mountain because that's where Moses gave the law to, to the people before they came into the land. And this mountain is as holy to my people as your temple is holy to your people. And, and, you know, and she beg- wanted to debate religious theology with him. And that's usually what happens when people... Who just dabble in religion. They get passionate about things that don't really matter or make a difference, but it's a good defense mechanism. And she would debate whether Moses or David or the temple or the mountain was more important or more holy or could bring different or better results. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Listen, ma'am, I'm not trying to make you more religious. That bucket won't work either. I'm not trying to tell you that you need to unplug from the world and plug into this religious system. In fact, Jesus tells her back in verse number 14 that whoever drinks from the water of this well will always be thirsty again. But if you drink from the water that I offer you, you will never thirst again, but I will give you a wellspring of life that will bubble up from within you. Jesus says, I am trying to convince you to lay that bucket down, and I'm trying to convince you that another bucket is not the solution. You need to change wells, and it's not through religion that you're going to find this source of eternal life, but it's through a relationship with God's Messiah. I am the Messiah, by the way. I know that's a little bit, uh, there's a lot of, lot of all at once, ma'am, and, and I know we just became friends or acquaintances, but oh, by the way, I am the Messiah who has come to get rid of the middleman. This wellspring can be within you, and he tells her that God's Spirit is going to move in and God is moving from building to body. The temple has been taken on commute and the sacred place is no longer a temple or a mountain, but it's the heart of God's children. Now, some people derive their worth from relationships, 
from a job, from a religious practice, how much we do, how much we make, how much we accomplish, how well we are liked. Jesus was God's Messiah, and He came to instill value in all of us. For God so loved the world that He did something for us to release us from these dead ends and these empty wells. And this is the conversation that Jesus has with this woman. He tries to open her eyes to what God is about to do that's brand new, that's different, that's refreshing, that's reviving. Jesus teaches us that everyone, everyone, God's Messiah saves, God's Spirit fills. Do you see that? If we're saved, then we're filled. So salvation means that we're released from one thing, but it also means that, we're, that, that, that what we were released from is replaced by something better. Salvation is not, just a forg- is not just forgiveness, but it's deliverance, right? It's not just, hey, you're fine, you're, you're let go of that, but it's here's something better to replace that thing that wasn't working for you. Whoever God's Messiah saves, His Spirit also fills. And maybe you can see the connection. Salvation is both efficient and sufficient. Efficient means... It works. It does the job. It saves you. You're holding on for dear life. You're falling. You're you're judged. You're condemned. And salvation says no more. Salvation says forgiven. Salvation says you're free. Salvation says you are saved and you are secure. You are justified in God's eyes. No one is going to condemn you. No one is going to judge you. No one is going to take away life from you. Salvation says it is finished. It's efficient. It works 100% of the time. You are set free. You are washed clean. You are made pure. You are made whole. That's what efficient means. It means it works. But it's also sufficient in that it lasts. In that it provides something that is enough for you. It sustains you and moves you forward. Salvation does what nothing else can do. It saves and sustains. So Jesus kind of makes it clear to this woman that he has not just come to be another religious avenue to walk down. He has not just come to be another bucket to take to that same well, but he's a brand new well. And the question he really kind of begs her and begs us to answer is, God is all in on us. So why wouldn't we be all in on him? Jesus makes it very clear that that God is pouring into His people, that His Spirit wants to set His people free and change His people. And He says, listen, we are all, I am all in on this world. I love you. I'm here for you. And it begs the question from us, why wouldn't we be all in on Him when God is so all in on us? Now you say, well, it's an easy answer when you put it that way. Well, then always put it that way, right? I mean, if that says, well, there's no way to not, there's no really good answer to give to that except say, well, of course I should be all in on the Lord. If that's an easy answer when you put it that way, then always understand it that way. Now, we're going to read even more of Jesus' commitment to us in the next few verses, and we're going to learn some very important points about how we can communicate His commitment to others. And we'll also spend a little more time talking about this woman and the decision she makes after, after she leaves and, and we believe she trusts in Jesus. So verse 27 through 30 um, addresses uh, her and the response that comes from her commitment. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with this woman. Yet no one said, well, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, Come and see. We've heard that before, haven't we? Come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah that we have been waiting for? 
Then they went out of the city and came to him. Who's they? Everybody. Everybody. Now, first I want to finish up the woman's story, which is verses 28, uh, particularly verse 28. Um, and then we'll talk about the bookend of this little passage. Uh, notice it says that she leaves her water pot. Now that isn't in there without trying to drive a message. That's, that's not a coincidence. That's, that's not insignificant. She leaves her jar and she leaves the well. But she leaves with a wellspring in her soul. Jesus told her, hey, if you drink from this well, you'll never be thirsty again. You won't need that jar anymore, and you won't need this well anymore, because when you leave here, you're going to have within you something better, something sweeter, something more refreshing, and something more satisfying than whatever you're going to. Of course, the well that he was talking about was the metaphorical well that she continued to go to every single day, right, that she was stuck in, that she was kind of continued to cycle through in, in the way that she was living. She left that jar behind. She left that well behind, but she left with a wellspring in her soul. She was different. She was new. She was saved. Now here's the thing, if we continue to carry that old jar around and old jar around, or we continue to return to that old well, we are tempting ourselves. We are undermining our salvation. Now look up here. This is going to happen. You are going to be tempted to pick that old jar up and to return to that old well. You will, you will, you will, you will. That's what our flesh does. It returns to the thing that we were freed from and that we were saved from, that we confessed was bad for us and negative for us and a dead end for us, but somehow we find ourselves continuing to leave that door open, continuing to take that jar home, continuing to go to that well, and we pass by it and we think, I don't need it, I don't need it, I'm done with that, I don't need that that, that thing to remind me, I don't, I'm not driving my worth from that anymore, I don't need them, I don't need that, I'm going to go there, but something inside of us says, well, I just need to keep the door open because what if this well that Jesus has put within me, what if this water isn't always what he says it's going to be? What if I need something else to make me, make me feel comfortable? What if I need something else to make me kind of give me a crutch one day? And it's not because life was better before we met Jesus, but because sin doesn't want you to have a better life. Sin will tempt you. Sin will tempt you to go back to that well and get back on that path. It will happen. It will happen. Another thing I want to mention. There is a temptation to turn the blessings from God into buckets. Now, that might not make any sense, but I think I can explain it. As a Christian, as a child of God, He blesses you with a spouse, with a family, with a job, with a home, with possessions. Whatever He's blessed you with, it is from Him. It is good. It is a gift. It is amazing, and He wants you to enjoy it. He gives you all things richly to enjoy. Nothing wrong with the blessings that He gives you. But listen, the blessings that He gives you, the blessings that He gives you are not buckets. They don't replace God. They should not rival God. Blessings are from God. He is our true source of joy. Do you hear that? Don't allow a blessing to become a bucket. Don't allow the blessing from God to become the thing that you're carrying around your joy in. To become a thing that you think is where your joy comes from. It is from God. It is not God. And it is not the source of your joy. It may be a product of your joy. It may be a product of the gift from God. But it is not to derive 
why it is not to drive your focus and your attention. And don't let that thing become your focus because your joy comes from your God. If He takes the blessing away, He's still God and there's still joy. He may replace it with something better. He may replace it with something you think is inferior. But if it's from Him, it's good. Don't allow the bucket to, to become, the blessing to become a bucket. It will lead you to an awful place. Again, you will, you will be tempted to do this. You have been tempted to do this, haven't you? And if you do this, if you do this, if, if blessings become buckets, they begin to demand our trust in our worship. When we begin to look at the blessing as if our joy is dependent on it, we begin to worship that bucket, right? We begin to worship that thing and trust that thing and put everything we've got into that thing. And all of a sudden, God has been erased from the picture and the things that God gave us, the blessings from God, become burdens, don't they? Because we removed God from the picture and the blessing became a burden because we looked at it as if it was the vessel of our joy. And you know what happens when the blessing becomes a burden? That that, that thing becomes a burden because it cannot handle the pressure. It cannot handle that kind of dependency. It is not God. And it will let you down. And you will find yourself without faith and without blessings. Because God has to take you back to that place that you started to remind you where your true source of joy truly is. So be like this Samaritan woman. Leave the jar behind and remember where your joy and who your joy comes from and always will come from. Now let's address the bookend of this little passage. The disciples come back and they are iffy about what they just walked up on. Of course, John writes that what they were thinking because John was one of them that was thinking it. And of course, Jesus knew it all as well. But here's another example of why the Bible is absolutely inspired. They didn't have to write this, right? John did not have to tell on himself. Of course, Jesus would have, could have read their minds. But Jesus didn't make them right, you know, come out and say, hey, what were y'all thinking? But John, inspired by God, tells us what they were thinking. They're thinking, about, they're thinking uh, uh, to this woman, what are you here for? They're questioning her motive. And then they're also wondering why Jesus would talk to this woman. Why would you be around this woman? Why would you talk to this woman? Don't you think, it, don't you think it's kind of you know, a stigma on your reputation, Jesus? Don't you think it's going to make you look bad? Listen, even when he was doing ministry, people had something to say. And that is often negative. But I say to you what I believe Jesus wants us to learn from this verse. When you're doing ministry, when you're doing ministry, keep doing ministry. Don't let someone be negative and drag you away from that place that God has called you to serve when you know you're doing the right thing. We'll get get into this a little bit more, but religious people can be the most hypocritical of all people, can't they? We can be the most hypocritical of all people. I mean, yeah, we know why we're doing this, Jesus. We know why you've called us to be a part of this, Jesus. But you know, did we really have to go through Samaria? Why would you talk to this woman, Jesus? You know, religion says to, to, to ministry, I know that we're supposed to do it that way. But I know that we're supposed to do that. I know that there's a mission and there's a, there's a purpose. But do we really have to go there? Do we really have to go to them? 
Religion always wants to put an asterisk on the the, the commandments of God, on the purpose and the calling of God. Religion wants to make exceptions that are never good for anybody. Beware, because something in you, something in me, something in us will think, of course I shouldn't do that. But by not doing that, people will not be ministered to. Notice the repeat of Jesus' words in verse number 29. The woman says, to the people that she was encountering. Come and see a man who told me all things. Come and see a man who accepted me as I am and told me there was a place for me in his kingdom that told me that God wanted to dwell within me and to answer that longing of my heart and satisfy that desperate need that I have. You didn't walk away from Jesus. You didn't walk away from Him empty-handed or wondering or confused. You walked away from Jesus with a feeling, with a knowing, with a con- being convinced that Jesus provides the salvation that you're looking for. Jesus was a come-and-see kind of person, right? So if you came to Him, you would see. If you desire to see Jesus, you will not leave. You will not leave that encounter the same person. If you search this book, if you come to these services, the power of the gospel, the work of the Spirit, the person of Jesus, they are come and see kind of powerful and they will make a difference in your life. And that's why verse 30 says that everybody wanted to see Jesus. They went out of the city and came to Him. They all went out of the city and came to Him. Everybody wanted to meet Jesus. Now, who was everybody in this scenario? It was Samaritans. It was a bunch of people who were not like Jesus, who were not Jewish, who were told they could not associate with a Jewish person. But Jesus was attracting these people. He was drawing these people in. And He enjoyed being around these people that were so different than Him. He was a come and see kind of God. People that were unlike Jesus liked Jesus. Actually, they loved Jesus. But again, there was something to see when you met Him. You knew from the way He made you feel. He made you feel accepted and what you belonged to something, to someone. And verse 30 suggests that everyone quickly began asking this same question, marveling at this same reality. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be our Messiah? The first impression with Jesus left a lasting impression, but here's where there's a very important, uh, where it's very important for us to understand. Because Jesus is no longer on earth in a physical form. The human Jesus is on the throne in heaven. But the church has been left in His stead to do this job, to be this come and see kind of place. We have been called to be these come and see kind of people. We are in between people and Jesus, but may we never get in between people and Jesus. You hear that? We are in between. God prefers, God made a choice that we, Christians, and the church be the the means by which the world meets Him. We are in between people and Jesus, but may we never get in between, get in the way, block the way between people and Jesus. So that means we better be pointing people to Jesus and not blocking people from Jesus. Yeah? You've heard me say this before, but it needs to be said. We are the closest some people will ever get to God, and the church is the closest some people will ever get to heaven. That's either good news or scary news. And by church, I don't mean the way the service is, the style, the pews, the fellow. I mean it's the fellowship, it's the community. 
But do you hear that? We, you, are the closest somebody in your life is ever going to get to Jesus. Is that good news for them? You, the church community that we have, we are the closest. Somebody, no doubt, somebody is going to come into this community one Sunday, one Wednesday, and we are going to be the closest they'll ever get to heaven unless they make that choice, unless they receive, unless they respond. We will be the closest they'll ever get. Now listen, I've been to some churches, and I've been around some Christians, and they're neighbors to some place, but it's not heaven. And that's, we want to laugh about that, but that's not funny. That's an awful truth. And it's not a shame or a stain on the church. It's a shame on us. That's on the people. We should not blame the devil, right? We need to own it. Jesus' heart beats for missions. Does ours. Verse 31 through 38, here's how the next section goes. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. They come back from town. They've got a big bag of food. We'll have some fun with that in a minute. But they come back, and they've got a bunch of food that they went and, and, and picked up. And, Rabbi, teacher, would you please eat? And he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And they're thinking, well, we don't see any. We just spent all our money on food. And you've been up there munching and eating and having a picnic with this woman? Jesus, what are you doing? I mean, Jesus, we... we We've been gone and we walked all the way down that mountain and we don't like Samaritans and we had to go in their restaurants and they don't serve like we serve and their place isn't clean. What do you mean you got food that we didn't know about? And they even ask him, and I love the disciples, they're, they're just people, right? And they say silly stuff sometimes. Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Like, who, who brought him food? This woman didn't have any food. Maybe she did. Maybe they've been on some romantic date for the last 30 minutes. We don't know what is going on. And then, you know, they, they went down to McDonald's, you know, like Golden Arches, Golden Streets. All right, I got a big picture up here. Screen, screen, screen. McDonald's, right? They went to McDonald's. I just did that just so I could have something on the screen behind me. Somebody take a picture of that. That'll be memorable. Jesus wired his passion to his purpose, but they don't get it. They think he's really talking about food. No, I've got other food to eat. And they think, Jesus, we went down to McDonald's, and we've got, don't worry, Jesus, we've got Big Macs, Quarter Pounders, McNuggets, fries, anything you would ever want, Jesus, just name it and claim it. That's how it works. We got it in this bag. And Jesus says, no, guys, really, really, I don't want that mess. And they say, you know what? We knew we should have went to Burger King. I mean, because King... Messiah, right? That's how it works. Jesus, we knew. We should you know, maybe one of the guys ran back to town, put on the paper crown, right? And they come running back with some, you know, whoppers or whatever, right? And, and, and Jesus is like, listen, guys, y'all are a piece of work. I don't want any food. I don't want any food, guys. And they think, well, you know, they really don't get that he's talking about something else that is driving him and that he's passionate about. I mean, did somebody get you something? I mean, did, did Miss Waterjar cook you something up? I mean, hey, how many fingers are holding up Jesus? Did she do something? Are you okay? And then he says to them, you know, he doesn't ever get fed up with people like we would get fed up with people because he's clearly trying to teach them a lesson here. And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I mean, they're sitting here arguing about cheeseburgers, right? 
and wondering why he ate without them. And he said, listen guys, my passion, my hunger is to do the work, the will of Him who sent me to finish His work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? He says, listen, behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look. The fields are white and ready for harvest. Guys, look at all these people that need to hear the good news. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice forever. Guys, we've got a job to do. God has planted people. God has given people life all around us. And we have been called to go and reap. We have been called to go and spread to them this news, this this amazing story of salvation. I sent you to reap that for that that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. And he says, guys, the story of the church is going to be constantly entering into fields where you didn't do any work, but you're picking up the pieces from somebody behind you. And you're always going to be laboring in fields where you didn't know what was going on before you got there, but you get there and you realize there's a work to do. There's a job to do. People are in need and you've been given the task to reach them. Guys, this isn't about what makes us happy and what fills our guts and what tickles our fancy. This is not about just gathering together and smiling and having our own little happy time. This is about the kingdom of God in life or death, heaven and hell. And we've got a job to do. And my heart beats for these people. I am hungry to reach these people. This is more than just about a picnic. Man, if only our churches would hear that, right? Jesus is my spirit. His spirit was more hungry to please God than to please His flesh. See how clearly Jesus communicates His passion for evangelism. Also how He encourages to not waste any opportunity. Everyday happenstances could be the circumstance God uses to shine His light and open eyes. We hear this so much in the Bible. We are so unfazed most of the time, aren't we? It's almost like as if He's saying to us believers, you've been plugged into the power source. But you aren't shining for any purpose in results of loving and encouraging and, 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 and engaging with others. You're wasting energy. And eventually you're going to spoil what God gave you. God pours in, but we remain stationary. We could be mobile, but it's almost as if we have just decided that we're going to remain stationary and all the power in the world is plugged into us. But that energy is stockpiled into that one stationary place, into our stationary position, into this position we have decided we aren't going to leave. We don't have to do anything. But if we don't use this, you know what happens? You know what we are essentially doing? God has empowered us with His light and His power, but it's almost like we're doing this. You know what happens after a while? The more and more we, look, we, we kind of focus downward and focus on ourselves and inward, it's going to get very hot. That light's going to get trapped in that little vessel. It's going to get very hot. And you know what it's going to do to us? It's going to make us very fiery and very temperamental. We'll be very passionate about being religious. We'll be very right. And we'll say, there's nobody around. There's nobody here that's like me. It's just me. And I do the right thing. I'm always right. I'm always holy. I'm always obedient. And it's all, we become so myopic and so short-sighted. We are so focused on what we cannot see. We're shining downward. Meanwhile, we're getting hotter and hotter and hotter. We get temperamental and we get so negative. And there's a whole world around us that needs to see the light, but we focus all our attention on nothing. 
know, sometimes we treat the mission field like we react to elevators. I think this will make some sense. Maybe that didn't, but this will. Levi Lusco is a preacher who used this, and I'll share it because I think it resonates with all of us. It resonated with me. Think about when you're waiting on an elevator. You're tapping your foot, and you're hoping one, one opens up, and it's not full of people. But sure enough, one opens up, and it's full of people. And you're like this lady. You're thinking, there's room for me. I mean, you just got to move over a little bit, suck it in a little bit, right? You can make room for me. And I'm thinking, you know, that letter opens for me all the time. And I'm thinking, you know what? There's room for me. I mean, I'm not that big. I can squeeze in there and I can make my room there. We think there's room for me in that elevator. So I squeeze in all the time. I'm in a hospital in a place. I go into the elevator and you get in there and it's like there's plenty of room, right? And everybody's elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder, back to back. And I don't make conversation. Nobody talks to anybody. You just look to the ceiling or look to the door and pretend like you don't see anybody. Everybody's breathing on you and it's just so uncomfortable. But there was room for you, wasn't there? You made room for yourself. And then 10 feet later, up or down, 10 feet later, up the shaft or down the shaft, the door opens, and there's some poor sap who thinks he's going to get in that elevator. And you're standing there with your arms crossed. (laughs) Come on, dude, you're not getting in here. There's no room. I mean, 10 feet ago, there was room because you needed it. And I'm standing there like this looking out the elevator door and somebody wants to get in and I'm looking behind me and to my left and my right and there's no room and I'm not making room. And this guy wants to get in. Isn't it funny how, how quickly we change our positions? Five feet into the box and ten feet up and down, up or down, I go from there's room to there's no room. I don't care about the outside suddenly once I get in. Now this condition has a name. It's a terminal illness that the disease, Center for Disease Control has recently identified. It's called insider-itis. Insider-itis, get it? Insider-itis. One more time, look up here. Most of us have insider-itis and we don't even know it. We've had it for so long and we've been untreated. But there's hope. There's hope in being obedient to God's Word. Notice how refreshing it is, how contrasting it is to the disciples, how the Samaritan woman continues to take the story to the world as she encounters more and more people. Contrast that to how they were just clueless. Look at verse 39. Many of the Samaritans in that city believed in Him because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to Him, they urged Him to stay with them, and He stayed there two days, and many more believed because of His own word. And they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard Him, and we know that He is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the whole world. But it was because of her words, her testimony, that they all got it. What if she had responded the way the disciples had responded? You know, insider-itis is repulsive to outsiders. We need to pray for a refresh from the well so that we would be winsome spirits. Winsome, positive, engaging, enlightening, shining bright vessels for the kingdom. These words are so pure and sincere. I want to show you in closing Paul's impassioned defense of his ministry to the Corinthians when someone questioned his motives, his intentions. He says to them uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, 
For though I am free from all, that means he's saved and he doesn't owe anybody anything because salvation is free and nobody, we're not in debt to anybody. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant or a slave to all that I might win more of them. Paul says, I don't have to do this to be a Christian. I'm not, de- I'm not in debt to anybody because I'm saved by grace and grace alone. But there's something in me, there's something in me that, I, that, can't, that doesn't allow me to be quiet. I'm free from everybody and anybody, but I have this desire, this compulsion, and I've made myself a slave to everyone. And he goes specifics about it. He says, to the Jews, I become as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I become as one under the law. Though I am free from that, that I might win those under the law. In that he speaks a language they can understand. He goes in a direction they can follow him in. He communicates in a way that they will respond and can comprehend. He was determined to speak to the Jewish people the way they could understand him. He didn't change the gospel. He just spoke a different language if he needed to. And he says, again, to the, those that were not Jewish, to those outside the law, I became as an outside the law. Not because not being outside the law of God, but being under the law of Christ. He's not saying that he disregarded the Bible and the Old Testament or anything that Jesus said. He's just saying they didn't speak the same language that Jews speak, so I had to take it to them in a way that would be engaging, in a way that they would respond to. Because the gospel is that important, and Jesus is that great. He deserves that kind of effort. That I might win some of them. I'm not going to win all of them. That's okay. He says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might save or win some. Win some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share in, share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? Run that you may obtain it. Watch the prize. Somebody that needs Jesus. The prize is not a trophy or a crown. It's somebody that is desperately in need that you might can show them how you found hope and how they can too. Remember, the closest somebody will ever get to Jesus, the closest somebody will ever get to heaven, eyeball to eyeball with you. So how bright are you? How winsome are you? How missional, how mission-minded are you? You don't have to have a map and a chart and a plan. You just be bright. Be winsome. Let that wellspring of life shine through you. And what has given you hope can give anybody and everybody hope. If we indeed have stayed focused on the joy of our salvation, the joy that is found only in Jesus Christ. Rex, if you can play for us for just a verse or two, I want to pray for everybody. Maybe somebody has a need, somebody you want to pray for, whatever it might be, the altar is open as we pray. Father, I love you. Thank you for this reminder from your word that we should be winsome people. We should be dedicated and devoted to the kingdom's mission. Lord, you've made us very bright because your gospel and your word is good. It shines through us. But God, let us not be so myopic and so narrow focused on ourselves in our own little corners that we focus that light down where nobody can see it and nobody can respond to it. Lord, all that does is make us religious and temperamental. And Lord, forgive us if we become that way. It makes us grouchy and hateful and gripey. And Lord, that doesn't do anybody any good. 
Father, you've heard the word tonight. We've heard the word from you tonight, and I know what my job is. We all know clearly what our mission is. Lord, let us not take for granted this light you've put in us, but let us shine brightly that we might win some to the kingdom of God. Father, our true satisfaction comes from being obedient to you, from being filled with this hope and pouring it out for somebody in need. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.